Hello and welcome to the BBK Free Speech Podcast. I'm Caroline Clage, Head of the Childbirth Injury Team, and today I'll be talking to the Independent Autism Advisory Consultant, Stephanie Dennis, on preparing children with autism spectrum condition for the transition from primary to secondary school. It's a really, really informative discussion with lots of helpful tips for parents and schools. So I hope you'll listen in and enjoy our discussion. So Stephanie, it's lovely to have you with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you. And what we're going to talk about today, which is something I think that is a worry for so many parents, and I hope will be of wider application, actually, not just for children with ASC, but also children with special educational needs and children in general. You're going to talk about the very challenging transition from lovely, cosy primary school to big, scary secondary school. So thank you so much for joining us. We're going to launch into it. So if I could ask you to explain what is a transition, how would you describe that? Okay, so whenever anybody asks me what a transition is, I tend to sort of go to the good old... Um, Oxford English Dictionary. So it's really encompassing and it can be something very small as moving from stopping one activity and moving to another or something a lot a lot bigger like at the onset of puberty. I mean, that, that can be huge for a lot of our, our lovely autistic young people. It really is any form of change moving from one state to another. Okay. And why are transitions especially challenging for children with autism spectrum condition? That's a good question. I mean, if we think about us generally, none of us really like unexpected change. Change for for humans is is not a good state to be in. It can cause us to feel anxiety. For autistic children and young people, that's really magnified. Say that there's about 70 to 80% of autistic children experience anxiety on a daily basis. And they have so many transitions in any one day that we aren't even really necessarily aware of that the anxiety builds. It becomes even harder for them them to manage that easily. So, for example, I can imagine at primary school you're generally in one classroom with the same teacher. Indeed. But then the big change, you go to secondary school and you could be in a different classroom for a different subject with different teachers. So that's going to be tricky, isn't it? Yeah, and, and that's just the, that's just kind of touching on one aspect of it. Um, so, yes, moving around a really busy building, building you're not familiar with. So, you know, if primary school has been a, a positive experience for, for the autistic child, they probably would have stayed there all the way from reception through to year six. And as you said, you know, if it's a lovely small primary school, they're held, they're known by everybody, their peers understand them, the teachers understand them, they're really familiar with everything. But that big transition to secondary school, when the building's unfamiliar, you don't just have one teacher, you have lots of different teachers. You've got different sets of expectations for each teacher, different subjects that you're having to navigate, different peers that you're having to navigate. It's a constant set of transitions from the moment you set foot into the building, as well as what happens to you before you start school, before you you leave home. Um, You know, your routine in the morning would have changed as well from what you were used to, and your afternoon routine would have changed. So there is so much going on in terms of change 
as well as possible sensory overload and all manner of things, that it can just be really overwhelming. So the things you describe, I think, sound scary for the, I would, we use the term neurotypical child. So why are they especially difficult for a child with ASC? You mentioned earlier increased level of anxiety and sensory overload. Can you explain a bit more about those things and why these things are especially hard for children with ASC? Yeah, so children with ASC respond really well to structure and routine. So the moment, you know, if we're thinking about transition from primary school to secondary school, that's out the window. Even with the best of preparation, and we can talk about, you know, why why preparation is important a little bit later. But even with that, the, the kind of the body will go into potentially a fight or flight response because of the change, because of not being able to predict. And anxiety can manifest in a number of ways. Um, you know, I've talked about fight or flight, but there's also freeze. Um, and if your body's having to cope with that higher level of anxiety, it's going to it's going to sort of result in a particular beha- you know, but particular head behaviours may manifest uh, may not may not have been around before or they have only been seen when... I, I think what you're saying, though, is really helpful because you're describing how a, a child with ASC may be feeling when all these changes are effectively imposed upon them and how they might react. So it is it is really, really helpful, I think. And what things can parents and also schools do to help children with ASC cope with the transition because it sounds like it's such an overwhelming time for them okay so really that the process starts from the moment that the child knows where they're going um, and that's going to vary from like usually around about the spring term so we'll know and at that point what should be happening is communication with the, with the secondary school so parents will find it a little bit tricky in terms of knowing what they can and can't do but what schools can very much get the child involved, get them to come in, allow them to take photographs, and maybe create a video, get them to be introduced to key members of staff that they'll be working with. Where possible, have them meeting other students from you know that they're going to be working with. A lot of secondary schools will do transition, so transition days, uh, usually in the summer term. But for some young people, even waiting that long can be really anxiety-provoking because if, as soon as they know that they're going to go to, you know, whatever school they're going to go to, they want to know about that school. So it really behoves the school in terms of setting the child in to be really proactive in terms of the information and communication that they have with the child's primary school and with the parents. You know, finding out as much about the child from the parents, but it's really important to have parental involvement starting right before they, they start um, in September. So, I mean, there are some misconceptions, and I know I've experienced them in my time with my children, but I sense sometimes people feel older children need less support. Can you challenge that myth? Primary schools will do a brilliant job in helping children to develop independence. I know it's a real focus in the year six about preparing them from secondary school and, and what that might mean. But what you know, from my experience, what tends to happen is that it can be such an overwhelming experience that there is regression. 
So it may very well be that your child was brilliant at getting themselves ready for school to get to primary school, but actually the process of getting them ready to go to secondary school is a whole different set of steps. And, you know, one of the areas that our autistic young people may struggle with is executive function, the ability to plan and organise themselves. So if it's a different school and a different environment with different expectations, then what they will need to do in order to be able to get ready for school in the morning and leave on time, which could be earlier with different modes of transport, is going to be different. And so what I have said to parents in the past is if you've used something like a visual schedule, it doesn't have to be pictures, it can be age appropriate, but reinstigate that. Have something that takes the step-by-step approach for that young person so they're able to figure out what they need to do they're not panicking, they're not worrying about, you know, which books they need to pack, what parts are they using. If they're having an anxiety through the morning, then that's only going to play out for the rest of the day. We talk about the Coca-Cola bottle effect. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard of that. I think I have. Yeah, where, you know. Explain it. Oh, I love an analogy. So (laughs) imagine a bottle of Coke, and it's on the shop shelf, hasn't moved, you open it up, it just goes, and, you know, you can pour your coat without any drama. But anything that kind of can shake it up is likely to really make it fizz. And it will look exactly the same as a, as a still bottle of coke or an unagitated one, but you take the lid off and it explodes. And that, that's what happens. We've seen that over and over again with young people coming into school. Something has happened that staff are not aware of. And it could be they've not had a brilliant start to the day or something has happened on the journey to school or they've not been able to find their PE stops or something that just starts the day off wrong and then that continues through the rest of the day um, and that can really distract them and and make them feel even more anxious because they know that they're potentially going to miss out on some of their learning in order to be able to regulate and get back to a point where they're able to learn. So a calm start to the day, absolutely essential. And that's where I think parents can really help in helping their young person to to, to sort of have that schedule. It, you know, it, it allows them to develop independence. Um, it's not something they may necessarily need all the way through. But certainly at the beginning of secondary school, you know, instigate it with them. Get them involved in the process as well of, drawing up the schedule so they take some ownership of what they need to do you know they're not the the seven or eight year old child that you might have had in year three or year four they are year seven children but they are going to need that additional support to help them get into school and, and feel calm and ready to learn so it's really about reducing that anxiety that comes from having to deal with new things unknown things uncertain things as much as possible um, and your your Absolutely. your Coca Cola analogy is brilliant. And I think another thing, and I think this would be really helpful. And I know with our clients as well, they so often can be written off by people that don't know them well as being naughty when actually behaviour is just a way of communicating. And so, if you have a child that might have had a, a difficult morning or a difficult journey in, and they arrive and they are the Coca Cola bottle that's fizzing over, can you describe how? that behaviour might manifest? Because I think that's helpful for, for people to hear that so that it's not automatically 
sidelined or dismissed as naughty behaviour that, that then might be treated in a way that just makes the whole situation with the anxiety far, far worse. Oh, wow. I mean, it's, you know, the way that that, that might present will be as varied as every child is varied. You know, it could be a child that's in flight mode. So they come into the building, but they run off. You know, we've, we've had that happen before. It could be a child that completely shuts down. Really, you know, nothing that looks challenging in terms of physical behaviour, but absolutely no way of communicating or wanting to communicate with people that are trying to support because whatever has happened is just cause them to shut down. And, and that can be as equally challenging for those that are trying to support that young person as, as a child that's showing very overt behaviours that challenge. And I think it's important to say that we're talking about the behaviour that's challenging, not the child that's shown you know, challenging behaviour. Because, as you said, all behaviour is communication. And it's just really a question of taking a step back, taking a breath, kind of trying to disengage your emotional reaction from what's going on to figuring out what is going on for that young person, what could have happened, um, what could have triggered that response. So it could be verbal, it could be physical, it could be passive, it could be aggressive. It's really going to vary from child to child, young person to young person. And it may change over time. But whatever it is that you're uh, witnessing, you know, that is a display of um, anxiety, upset, all manner of emotions that that young person is not able to verbally articulate to you and will need you, just need, you know, your support to help them regulate. And in doing that, you kind of need to make sure that you're in a calm position yourself, which isn't always easy. But as, as the adult, you have to be able to try and just take a breath, take a step back. I think that's such good advice because I think, I mean, having experienced it as well personally, when a child behaves or presents behaviour that challenges, it's so easy to, to react emotionally. So I, I remember explaining a situation with one of mine where, where I was trying to get some school trousers on my son and he, he kicked me. And, and, and actually, at the time, it really upset me. And looking back, it was just purely because they were really, really uncomfortable and scratchy because of sensory issues. And actually, I should have just taken that breath and stepped back. But I was thinking, right, I've got to get him to school. Then I've got to get to work for a meeting. I can't be having this. And I didn't have that time to do it. And I think that is such good advice because especially at the age we're talking about, you know, it can appear or... So it can feel threatening sometimes when it isn't meant to be that at all. It's just a child trying to say, I'm really, really anxious. I'm really, really upset. And then the reaction is to, I suppose, help them to calm down and to feel comfortable again. And you said to, to help them regulate. Is that right? I mean, yeah. what, what are your favoured ways of doing that? I know it's hard because there isn't, it depends on the reaction, but... I mean, I know, I know from your experience, there are calming techniques you might use. What, what, what are the the best ones that you find? If you could share those, you have to kind of make sure that your trust you know, that they've got trust in you. That may, that may not always be possible. You might be, you know, working with a young person that you've only worked with on a few times. Uh, as a parent, you know, you're going to know your child, so you're you're in the best you've got the best start, but. Parents also have is that emotional involvement. 
that you were just talking about, Caroline, and how it, it really feels like a kind of like a heart stab when things aren't working. Best thing to do is again take that breath and just hold the space. It sounds really easy to say. It's not that easy to do. If you you know if the child is in a fight or flight mode, try and create a safe space where they know they can go to. What you don't want is a child sort of running around the school building and not being able to find them. If the child's at home, you know, their bedroom can be a, a safe space that they can retreat to. In terms of communicating with the child, sometimes sort of going sitting side by side, so car journeys are really good, side by side conversations when they're in a position to explain what's going on. Or if you want to take all verbal communication out of out of the equation. Text and what that message is, so all you're having to deal with are words, you know, and that works really well for, for young people, especially those that are kind of pre-teen going on to teenage years. They've, they've all got mobile phones and they're all far more adept at using technology and amazingly well. I, I remember one young man who incredibly quiet. You know, we could tell that there was an awful lot going on for him. And the best way we could communicate with him was through um, messenger apps where he could explain exactly very eloquently what was going on. And we were able to respond with him and build that rapport that way. So it's about finding out what's the best way to communicate with that young person, building up trust, creating a safe space, um, and just sometimes just having to use what you know to kind of work with it. I know that that's massively helpful in the moment. There is no one size fits all, basically. I, I think it's hugely helpful advice. I think just taking a step back, I think that's helpful advice for so many situations, Steph. So I'm grateful. Thank you for reminding me of that. <laughs> But I thank you. I think that's been really, really informative. And thank you so much for your time. It's lovely to see you. And what we'll do, we'll, we'll, we'll put some, some details and links in the show notes so that, that people can see a bit more about what you do, because I think it just sounds amazing. And thank you for coming today and sharing your expertise with us. So much appreciated. <laughs>